Hello everyone, this is Sir's Movies, the official podcast of SirWaka.com. I'm your host, Erling Woods, and today I'm joined by... Evan Todd McCoy. Welcome to the show. This week we're going to discuss what we've seen over the past week and follow it up with an in-depth review. This week's movie is Stephen Knight's Serenity, uh, the new Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway film. Uh, you can find more episodes on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and pretty much any other podcast app. You can contact us directly at SirsMovies at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Sirs Movies or um, join the Facebook group, Sirs Movies on Facebook. That's pretty much it. Before we get started this week, I owe everyone a formal apology. I'm going to go ahead and eat crow. Last week, I I was adamant. I told Evan that the, the scene with um, Elijah from Glass in the, in the Tilt-A-Whirl, I said that was definitely in the original Unbreakable. I remember seeing it. You're an absolute liar saying it. It was from the deleted scene. And then after we saw it, I went back and watched Unbreakable. And it was not in the movie. It was definitely a deleted scene. I forgot I owned it on DVD, and I probably watched it there. So uh, this is me issuing a formal apology. I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> and the way I said my name this week was me doing a bit because I'm trying to be smug. I hope that sounded <laughs> smug when I said my name. That's what I was trying to do. Indeed. All right. So let's get into it. Um, what have you seen over the past week? Uh, I saw one movie. Um a movie called Low Life from 2017, kind of like a indie grindhousey type movie that was pretty good actually. Uh, I think it was a bit of an indie darling uh, when it came out, but I haven't seen it or hadn't seen it until till now. So I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, basically, it's got it's about a luchador who uh, his name's El Monstro, and he's caught up in some criminal activity. But the movie peels back layers to reveal that like it's kind of got some socio-political themes going on that are really unexpected and it's kind of wrapped up in this sort of i don't know like it almost feels like it's one of those like fast-paced kind of goofy but glossy crime movies that almost glamorizes crime fiction a little bit but then it, it slowly kind of peels that back and, and does something different so without spoiling anything I, I like that one quite a bit and you should check it out if it sounds like your cup of tea okay yeah i've actually never heard of that one so glad you got to check it out um anything else interesting uh well in outside of movies uh, i saw the season finale for season five of steven universe i kind of think that that might be my favorite show of all time now, oh, wow. um, which might just be the high. Yeah, it might be the high. I've seen a lot of TV shows. It might be the high of the of the finale. They're, they're, they're talking about doing a movie to kind of wrap everything up, but I don't think it's necessary. If you're a fan of the show and you've seen the finale, I feel like they, sh- they should or could just leave it right where it is and it'd be perfect. So is that um, season finale or series finale? It's, it's sort of the series finale. I, they're not going to be making any more episodes, but they're talking about doing some kind of movie uh, later this year. Um, this, the show has a really spotty release schedule, so there might be some people listening who've watched it, but then kind of just, it just fell by the wayside. And that would largely owe to the fact that it's never had a consistent release schedule. Like, it's not like you can go and, oh, it's Thursday night. Tonight is Steven Universe night. No, it's more like every few months they dump like five episodes at a time. 
And before that, there would be like a whole year where there were no new episodes and things like that. So it got to five seasons. It took about, I think, about six or seven years to get to five seasons. And uh, altogether, it's one of the most consistent of the kind of post-Adventure Time animated sort of fantasy shows. Um, It's really, really, really good. It's got a whole bunch of really awesome sort of social themes um, that are super topical. But it's done in a way where... It's it's really not drawing attention to that stuff. It kind of just feeds it through a really like fantastical premise and some pretty lighthearted tack- like kind of comedy tackling heavier subjects. And the finale kind of mixed all that up, uh, as well as the show's lore and some action stuff. And it was just it was really satisfying. It's about the most satisfying series finale I can think of. Yeah, that's one of those shows that I, I know exists because I spend time on the internet and people like to, you know, make gifs out of it and talk about it. And I know it's yeah. doing some interesting things, social commentary wise, but it just, it's one of those that never, you know, um, never hooked me. I never got into it. Same thing with Adventure Time. I've watched a few episodes, you know, I know it's, you know, I know it's a solid show, but it's just something I never particularly care to sit down and burn through. But yeah, that stuff, you might, you might come back on some of this stuff when you're, when your uh, kid grows, it's a little older and starts getting interested in cartoons. Cause I think, uh, my, one difference between you and me is I see, I think I've seen a lot and appreciate animated and kid shit a little bit more. I don't know if that's fair to say. We've only touched on this a couple times, but if, if I'm right about that, a lot of it comes from the fact that like when my daughter was a lot younger, Adventure Time was like still in its like beginning kind of couple seasons. And I watched it with her. You know, and by yeah. the end of it, you know, she she kind of grew out of cartoons, but I'm still kind of like watching them. And when we were when she was a kid, one of my favorite things to do with her was watch old movies that she'd never seen, like old Disney movies uh, that I grew up with or take her to the theater to see kids movies. And so I learned pretty quickly, uh, you know, which ones were worth like watching because i'm sitting there watching a movie and something like alphas or whatever like or that alpha dogs that that terrible dog singing one that was awful right but that's different from something like moana which is actually really good for what it is so i kind of you know i I ended up watching so many of these things that i kind of learned to like appreciate the good ones and i'd say that 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 goes for the cartoon tv shows as well so i'd say adventure time and and definitely steven universe some of the really good ones that are worth watching even if you're an adult but i kind of feel like watching it with a kid is like a gateway into that stuff. You know, it might be hard to keep up with if you don't have a kid clamoring for that new episode every every day or whatever. That's how I got into it anyway. Yeah. Any um, any other TV you've been watching this week? Um, still watching season two of Future Man. Uh, it's still awesome and really funny. Uh, and True Detective season three I've been watching. So it's three episodes in. I know that you haven't seen the new season, but you should check it out. Uh, even if you didn't like the first season or second season very much, the third season's a different story. You know, they do a different story every season. It's been a long time coming for this one, and it's uh, it's good so far. It's atmospheric. It's a little bit darker again, and Marshal Ali is killing it. His performance is just really, really good and kind of worth coming to uh, just for that. Yeah, that's another one of those shows where I just kind of... I watched the first few episodes of season one. I, it was kind of interesting, but... Um, I just never finished it and I heard people talking about how it ends so I went back and watched the final episode and I, it's just oh, I guess because, yeah, I guess just because I missed the middle stuff I just didn't care as much as to how it ended 
And so I never went back and watched it. And, and I heard season two was universally panned, so I never cared for that. So I just don't care you might, to see you it. You might like it. Yeah. You well, might like season two. Well, I think the only reason um, I even care to see season three is because of Mahershala Ali. And yeah. I don't think that's enough of a reason for me to make, you know, actually invest the time to watch it. You know, there are other yeah. shows out there that just I'm actually interested in. So I'll probably, you know, check those out before. So it's probably that's fair. I miss. But I think um, us talking about shows I missed is a good segue into what I've been watching. Yeah. I did watch Eighth Grade. I don't know if we talked about that on here, but um, how'd you, um, I know you watched that as well. How'd you like that? I love that movie. Um, to me, it was kind of like, so last year, Lady Bird was a big deal. And like, everybody was like, oh, this is a great coming of age movie, blah, 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 blah. And I thought Lady, Lady Bird was kind of bad and had sort of a bad message for young people and uh, I mean, I know that's rich coming from me, a dude. Like, so take this with a grain of salt. But like, I just thought it was it was really condescending and it was very um, unchallenging to its main character. And I thought everything that it was trying to do and say, eighth grade does and says with like a hundred percent more authenticity. Like, if eighth grade felt like really relevant and real, especially the way the kids act and the way they mitigate like pop culture and media. Uh, that felt all more real to me than anything in Lady Bird. And I know Lady Bird takes place like in the 90s or something, I think, if I remember that right. So it's a little I different. But it, I just yeah. thought 8th grade was... You didn't see it, right? So I just... I compare those two movies a lot. And 8th grade, I thought, was fantastic. The stuff... I have a daughter, right? And she's around the same age as the girl in 8th grade. So all the stuff with her dad just killed me, you know? 8th grade is probably a pretty personal per, pretty personal experience for me then in that way. Yeah, I really liked it. Um like I said, I think, you know, Bo, Bo Burnham got a whole lot of love for it, for directing it and kind of hit, right. knocking it out of the park. And I really love Bo Burnham. I think he's probably one of the better comedians we have around, have out right now. Just the way he, he treats comedy and kind of the, what he what he does with it. I think he's an excellent comedian and I hope he continues to make comedy as well as movies. But yeah, the probably the biggest issue I had with eighth grade is it wasn't, um, you know, it's one of those quieter movies that isn't really about anything uh, more or less it's just kind of about you know it's just a, a snippet of somebody's life you know so there's yeah. no climactic scene there's no you know whatever it's just kind of you know just a, a day in the life kind of movie and I don't know I, I think it I do think it did an awesome job I think the actors did a great job and I think you know it really represented kind of what that experience is and it, it made you cringe at times it made you you know yeah. uh, emote at times and you know when um, there's a scene where she walks in into a, a pool party Oh, this isn't, you know, it, just, it makes you, you know, feel for a kid like, oh, man, this is going to be a tough experience for you. It makes you think about your middle school years and all the awkward, you know, dates and times you had and whatnot. So, you know, if nothing yeah. else, I think he did a, a really good job representing kind of what that is like. You know, it wasn't a um, TV version of eighth grade. I feel like he, he really did a good job of, you know, presenting, That's well put. you know, what that experience was. So especially that, him being a, a first time. Version. Yeah. Especially him being a first-time director, you know, I think he knocked it out of the park. So I'm yeah. looking forward to what he does next, both um, comedically and in the in the film world. Uh, but yeah, sorry, didn't didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to point out that that's that's really nicely put. That it's not a, a TV version of what it's like to be in eighth grade. That that's pretty. Yeah, that that kind of sums the movie up super well. Uh, yeah. Before I heard you say that, my my summary for it was like a more concise snapshot version of Boyhood. But about a girl. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of yeah. that's kind of how I thought of it until you said that. But I actually kind of think I kind of like that. Yeah, 
Appreciate it. And uh, I think we're going to go on to another thing we both watched. Um, so we talked about uh, Your Girl Slanthimos' The Favorite a few weeks back. And I talked about how I saw uh, most of his biggest stuff, but I never got around to seeing Dogtooth. So this week I watched Dogtooth. And that um, <laughs> that was a interesting film, to put it the least. I, I, I had no idea. You know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of the spoiler-free stuff. So I had no idea really what it was about other than what's on the posters. I know there was something with teeth about it. So um, not to give away what that movie is but it's very specific very um i don't know that's another thing where it's really you can it's the director is 90 percent of that movie just telling his style and you know just him making that movie kind of you can see how he became the guy that made the lobster and the guy that made um killing of a sacred deer you know there's a lot of that in there it was a very um i don't know odd movie i think i put it like that um but like in a, you know, in a good way, not just odd for the sake of being odd, but it's very artistic, you know, kind of thing. And I don't know, it went in a weird direction, you know, it kind of, and I love how it doesn't grab your hand and walk you and tell you what's going on. You know, you gotta, it just kind of gives you clues and you kind of piece together what the situation is yourself. And I don't know, it's a very, I don't know, moving and very, um, interesting i keep coming back to that word it's a very interesting story so it's a it's a hard one to recommend just because it is so specific you got to really know kind of what you're getting into because if you just think you're going to see a regular movie and you go spend two hours watching that you're going to walk out with a big question mark over your head but i definitely do think it was an interesting movie and i'm glad i saw it what do you think of that yeah i uh it's been a while for me i saw it some years back but i just remember it being like i remember laughing a lot through it because it was so audacious um, and that's kind of Yorgos Lanthimos in a, in a nutshell, right? Like you kind of have to laugh at some of the choices that, that he makes in storytelling. And for Dogtooth is a movie where a psychologist couple raises uh, their three kids in, a, in almost like an experiment, like, like, a, like their whole lives are basically um, confined in this household where the, the parents are sort of experimenting with whether or not they can, they can, create a reality for their kids that's really out of sync with like what we would expect uh reality to be like so they, they one of the ways that that pops up that's really easy to talk about without spoiling anything is linguistics so like the kids think certain words mean other way different things than what we would say they meant i think and we're so willing to spoiler territory are point. we are we okay yeah, well if we are trying the, to the talk mo- around it because it was very, okay yeah but I mean, do, you, do you feel like there's a statute of limitations on that because the movie's been out for like like it's an older movie now yeah what, so well 2000 if, if you haven't been spoiled yeah. enough and you're still listening, skip ahead about three minutes. So sure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, say much yeah. more. I'm just going to say like, like I dug all that. Like, like it, it, there's a boldness to that. There's a commitment to an idea that I really like. Like, even if something like, I mean, dog Tooth isn't my favorite movie of his, but even if there's going to be, I mean, if you're going to commit to something weird, uh, to me, it's like really, you got to really commit, yeah. um, which is interesting because that kind of connects to, to the movie we're going to talk about a little bit later. But like, um, Dogtooth is a very strange, strange movie. And you were saying before that you you just you hadn't seen it because you never really necessarily felt like you were in the mood for it. And do you feel like now that that was like that you you had some insight that you didn't know you had? Like, do you, do you still feel like that's a movie you have to like be in the right mood to watch? Um, yeah, I still do. I mean, because I watched it, I think at like ten o'clock at night by myself in a in a dark room. So I think that's kind of. <laughs> I mean, you got to really know what you, it's not, you can't watch while you're being distracted because somebody will walk in and say, what are you watching? And you're not going to have an answer for it because it's just so off the wall. You know, um, they, there are some, 
awkward sex scenes and there's you know there's some weird um like the, the kids act weird and it's just i mean it's because they're the parents are borderline well not borderline they're they're it's child abuse you know they yeah. they're locking these kids up making them believe that this is the world you know um they think cats are demons you know fish are demons you know any anything that isn't yeah. them is an other at one point the siblings are sleeping with each other you know it's just they Actually, the logic behind it isn't even explained in the movie. They just kind of, you know, go with it. But yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's an off the wall story, you know. And since we're in spoilers now, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say I think the way it ended was, um, it's, it's really hard to describe. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't really remember the ending. So okay, so in, in the ending, well, throughout, throughout the movie, there are three kids. There's um, oh the. Uh, girls the oldest uh, boys in the middle and then the younger girl um i guess the lie that they've told is whenever your canine tooth falls off it falls out you're old enough to go out into the world and experience it for yourself right. but canine don't fall out so that never happened and you know the older girl is you know rebelling piece by piece um until the end of the movie she just takes a you know one pound weight and knocks her own tooth out um so Right. You know, that she hides in her dad's trunk and he goes to work. And the final still of the movie is the camera focusing on the, the trunk and then, you know, fade to black. So just I guess it's, I don't know, uplifting is the word I keep thinking about. But that's not, you know, that's it's a really weird way to define exactly no, what that I th- is. I think, but, yeah. I think you're right. I think like, I mean, if, if it's a weird story about somebody like uh, rebelling and getting freedom, it wouldn't even be the weirdest version of that that I've seen. I mean, I would say that Human Centipede is basically that. Um uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that movie is is a tr- is about the triumph of the human spirit, honestly. But like yeah. uh, Dogtooth, I saw around the same time, and and they actually have some things in common. But I, yeah, I, I think uplifting or hopeful is is not a. It's a weird movie to ascribe that that sentiment to. I yeah. agree with you, but I think I agree with you also that it that it belongs. Yeah, indeed. And that's been about three minutes, so welcome back if you skipped forward. So, <laughs> yeah. like I said, we, I think we think it's an interesting movie, so it's worth checking out, especially if you're a um, Yorgos Lanthimos fan. But yeah, uh, a, another thing um, we have both seen, and I think this is the final movie of what we've been seeing. Um, it's actually Roma. I watched that and oh. I'm putting an asterisk next to what we both seen because I watched about half of it and just didn't care to finish it. So I know Oof. it is nominated for an Oscar for best film, but it just it's very like we we're talking about eighth grade. It's a very specific kind of quiet movie and it's not, you know, necessarily about anything. And I know it. It probably is a good movie, and I know, um, you know, just from you know osmosis of being on the internet, I know kind of where it goes and whatnot, and it probably is a very good movie. I just, like I said, I think I fell asleep watching it once, and then I came back to watch it again, and just, you know, I think I was on my phone. It's just something to where I just didn't feel like finishing it. So it's just, I know it's a good movie, and I feel like if I would have watched it in the theater, I may have appreciated it more rather than watching it on Netflix, but... I just couldn't power through it. And I know um, you thought it was, you know, pretty good, I believe. It's just, it, it's one of those, it just doesn't work for me. Well, I think my review on, on SirWalker.com, like like most of my reviews, it's it might be, until you read the whole thing, I think my hope is that when people read my reviews on, on your website that uh, they can tell basically what I thought of the movie without it being a binary, like this is good, this is bad. Um, but like Roma, like I had sort of the same experience as you up until maybe about two thirds of the way through. So I would say you maybe just quit too early, but at the same time, it's, it raises an interesting question. Is a movie that 
that can't get your attention if it's two hours and 15 minutes long if it can't get your attention in the first hour is it worth finishing because it it does kind of start to, to there a narrative and a more conventional pacing starts to kind of take control uh of the movie around the, the two-thirds of the way through uh point but uh, the style or genre that the movie is cinema verite it's it doesn't generally do that so i was actually kind of surprised when it eventually did start to kind of feel like it was running towards something and it does um but did you see the scene and, and you're gonna have to skip ahead uh kids at home because i'm gonna spoil a little bit of this movie uh just to ask sterling a question so <laughs> you know if you're listening to this skip ahead a bit um if you want I don't think Roma is the kind of movie that you can really spoil, though, for what it's worth. So, you know, and I got to get a little personal here, too. But a question I want to ask you, Sterling, is did you get to the part where she has the baby? I did not. So something about the movie and that scene uh, that's personal for me is that when I was 21, um, my girlfriend at the time, who is my daughter's mom, we were expecting a second child and we lost it. And uh, I was we were I was there when we lost it and stuff. And I had an experience not unlike the experience that this woman has because she loses the baby. I, I you know I'm spoiling it for you a little bit. Well, I know. Sorry, I knew that happened. Oh, you knew about yeah, that? Okay, but, good, good. Because I I was actually just thinking, oh shit, I'm not just spoiling this for for people listening when they shouldn't be, but I'm spoiling it for you too. <laughs> but anyway, that that scene, uh, the lead up to that specific moment, and then everything after that is sort of where the movie revealed what it was about to me. And it's not about losing a kid. It's about a bunch of socioeconomic stuff, like I wrote about in the review. But it's it, that's when it started to sort of become clear. Like, it's a movie that took a really long time, almost like a cloud forming the shape of an animal or something. It took a really long time to cohere into into something that I could actually analyze. But that, that mo- moment was so moving and emotional for me personally that I think it bought a certain amount of loyalty from on a subjective plane for me that it might not have gotten from any just anyone, right? So that's something that 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 stood out. Like, from what I understand, um, she loses the baby in a really um, emotionally um, reserved way. I think that's kind of how what I understand it being. And then the rest, you know, from there on, it's just kind of how how she is, kind of where she is and the life she has to lead. And, you know, it's uh, dark and it's, you know, this is life for her. It's a day in the life of not day in the life, but, you know a snippet yeah. in the life of this person living this type of life. And, you know, I just, um, from what I've actually heard, you know, that scene is harrowing, you know, and it's just, I don't, it is. you know, I don't, I don't know if the, how the, how the movie ends is going to justify me putting myself through that. That's kind of what I, from what I understand. Oh, no, I, I don't blame you. Like if I would have known, like, okay, so if we fast forward, if we went back in time 11 years and I knew that scene was coming, I wouldn't have watched the movie. Yeah. So I don't blame you at all for for like not wanting to subject yourself to that. I will say though that that movie that part of the movie fits into like a standard screenwriting uh, structure of like you know what they call the dark moment of the soul or the the low point. So after that, the movie does not submit to darkness. It's actually a fairly uplifting and and humanistic and and uh, moving kind of lighthearted. Lighthearted isn't the right word, but it's positive. Yeah. Overall, the movie's got a positive message, and it's about positivity, not about 
negativity or loss. Uh, although those things are part of life, so of course it goes there. But that, that's, you know, maybe in a year or two, you should come back and try to finish it. But, you know, I don't blame you for turning it off. Yeah, I think I wanted to see it more as a completionist kind of thing, because, you know, yeah. I'm a big fan of Alfonso Cuaron, and I know that it's, you know, like I said, it's nominated for Best Picture, so I wanted to see it just to see it. But an hour into it, however far I was in, I was just, you know, I was like, you know what, I, I don't care to finish this there, there's so much other tv i want to watch and i kind of know where this is going so i think i'd be seeing it just to see it so at that point i checked out but yeah let's uh let's go ahead and move on let's get a little bit brighter yep. um how about some movie news <laughs> well yeah speaking yeah speaking of oscar movies let's get into the movie news uh, they did release the uh, oscar nominations this week i am not a big um oscar fan i think i you know i never watched the oscars i just kind of watched the highlights to see who won and you know I read the articles, seeing what people say they care about, that kind of thing. But uh, were you interested at all in these nominations, any snubs or anything, you know, you, you no. thought about after finding about? I haven't followed the Oscars since 2005 uh, when Crash won, which I thought was, a, I thought that was a travesty. And until I, I know there's like always been like a cabal of like critical types and people who like movies a lot that have always kind of considered the Oscars to be a joke, but I didn't really join that group until 2005. But ever since then, I haven't really paid attention. So that's like that's like 14 years of me not giving a shit. And I was like 19 in 2005, 20, 2005. Uh, I'd been like into movies for about four or five years by that point. Uh, I started when I was a teenager, really getting into them and following them. But ever since then, I haven't really cared. I mean, I, like you, I always, through osmosis, I always hear about who's nominated. I always hear about the controversies, the snubs, the drama that ensues. But I feel like it's all really self-contained. And it's a it's kind of a popularity contest for a bunch of old white guys to sort of vote on movies that are usually, they'll pick the movie that's about movies, right? So, like, I mean, that's a cliche about the Oscars. And it's kind of just its own ecosystem. And so I don't think the awards really have any merit outside of the ecosystem. And it's an industry event. So it's really just about clapping people in the industry on the back. And I'm not just talking about the actors. I'm talking about the famous people because uh, one of the big controversies that I did follow was when uh, Life of Pi won some stuff. And as they were accepting their award, the VFX company responsible yeah, for 90% of what... Yeah. yeah, they were shutting down because they aren't getting paid. And VFX is like the salt mines of, of filmmaking and has been for over a decade so like stuff like that just really turns me off but yeah i know there's some interesting new changes with this year's oscars in terms of categories and what movies are being nominated is there anything that stood out to you that was like worth talking about oh again it's that um i mean they are kind of what they are um yeah. i don't i don't particularly care about the awards i know it's a big you know pay to win kind of thing if you know the right guys and pay the right advertisements that's how you get into the front running that kind of thing right. but at the same time, uh, you know, when a, when a black man wins, it's the first time a black man has won an Oscar, that kind of thing, you know. So it is still important because it is such a cultural thing. You know, it is kind of the biggest movie event. So even though it is a bit shady and backroom dealy and, you know, that obviously there are types of movies that win Oscars. You know, Green Book got a lot of hype because of the type of movie it is. And we knew that was going to be Oscar nominated and boom, here it is. You know, so it's just the kind of thing you... you um, it's gameable people can game the system and you know but still it's a it's a big deal it's kind of you know so that's why people pay attention to it whether they care about it or not i just i'm looking at the the list of best pictures and they're all a similar you know type except for vice vice is probably a curveball in it and but like the lead actor mm. i've seen one of the movies in lead actor and i've seen one and a half of the lead actress movie so it's just you know there is a certain you know 
game to it. And, you know, but still, it's the, it's the biggest it's the biggest game in town. So you got to watch it. But yeah, I won't I won't subject myself to watching the actual fucking ceremony and all that. I, I, yeah. I can't do it. It's too long and it's usually really, really boring. I remember a couple of years ago I tried when I think James Franco was the uh, him and him and somebody else were the host. And they just he just shot the bed, I think. Um you know, he just didn't have the. It wasn't. It wasn't his night. Maybe I don't know. But but like I just remember it being kind of embarrassing. So I didn't really didn't get into it. I will say though that uh, Vice is exactly the kind of movie that that gets Oscar attention, even though it came out a fucking week before the Oscar nominees were announced. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, oh, they love movies like Vice. Uh, I do appreciate them including stuff like Black Panther uh, in there because they usually throw. Like for me, usually like um, for best picture, there's always a, a toss out to like a, a genre movie, and this year it's Black Panther, which deserves it more than any other ones. Well, um, honestly, but, I I think that was a uh, not a token, but you know, I think that was a, a peace offering. I don't even I don't necessarily think that, that that's a good way people to put thought it. that they that this was the best movie of the year, not especially not the Oscars people, but I think because of the um, hype and just because of how big of a cultural impact it had and people were already talking about the Oscars in February because of how big it was that they felt right. like well we've got to add it you know that kind of thing well I mean they always people like that's the thing about about nowadays is that the award season starts in fucking February now it used to be that no movies that didn't come out after September were really going to be worth considering because that's when they dump all the like really big prestigious movies and now the studios have caught on to the fact that it's that you can release uh kind of like a black swan movie in the middle of spring or even in january in some cases and it'll actually be uh uh you know people will, will love it or it'll catch on so it's like a gamble right um i feel like annihilation was kind of like that although there's some stories about about how that movie was handled in terms of marketing and release that suggest otherwise uh of the best picture nominees would you go for black i know that was your favorite movie last year would you go for black panther as your best picture pick i mean personally yeah but i don't think that'll yeah. be the winner i think if what it do you does... think will be what's your prediction um, while we're while we're talking about this fucking anyway, yeah, right? Yeah, we say we just spent uh, five minutes talking about how we don't care about it, and spend five more yeah. five more minutes into it. But yeah, um, I don't. That's know, the hypocrisy of talking about the Oscars at all. Yeah, I have no idea. I really because I really don't care. I, I feel like if <laughs> that's the thing, it's a double double edged sword. Because if Black Panther yeah. wins, I'll feel like there'll be an asterisk next to it, and if it doesn't win, I feel like there'll be an asterisk next to it. So. It really just, uh, I really couldn't care less one way or the other. We'll just, but I will be there and I, not, I'll be there, but I'll watch the clips the next day and, you yeah. know, I'll be interested in seeing That's who, about who what they'll get from me is the yeah. clips. I want to see people crying and, and, and giving each other dirty looks. Uh, if I, if I had to say what, what movie I would like to win of the, of the nominees would be the favorite. Uh, but what I think is going to win is Roma. Gotcha. Yeah. That's my prediction. Both I'll, of those seem like I'll very. Oscar-y, you know, Oscar winner type movie. So it could be the favorite doesn't though. That's the thing. I think the favorite is a black swan pick. I don't think the favorite is the kind of movie they normally would like. Well, I, I do just because it's so off the wall and artsy, you know, I feel like that's the kind of, you know, they took a swing and, you know, it's very, um, you know, different, but it has big names and it's very actory. So I think that's the kind of, you know, that's that fair. is kind of, you know, I yeah. think it's in there because I honestly think it's in there because it's a period movie, like because it's a costume drama. That's the only reason I think it's in there, but that's why I hope it wins. Kind of, it'd be awesome if Black Panther won, but I just don't, I just can't get like, you know, like my, I just, you know, my heart yeah. can only get so broken, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. 
All right, but uh, probably the last piece of movie news we're going to talk about um, is the the Brian Singer controversy. Um, yep. It's I don't know this the the Me Too movement quote unquote has lately it's been kind of they're stretching as to you know kind of what we're upset about but I think this is a prime example of stuff that you know why why is this even a thing why is he still directing movies like why um, just just when I feel like we're there we argue about little pedantic things something like this happens it's like okay yeah that's that's why this movement exists we got to get this guy the heck out of here you know that kind of thing but i know you got some thoughts on it go ahead no i agree with you about that totally like i I think uh i don't know i don't know how i feel about the me too moment in general i mean almost as soon as that hashtag started people were trying to like diagnose what it is and what its reach should be and i feel my my attitude about things like this when they come up um is always wait and see like this thing will figure itself out because any kind of grassroots activism of any sort even the weird kind of cyberpunk versions we're getting nowadays uh that almost seem to happen completely on twitter um these things like they they, it takes a while for things to shake out there are always people looking to jump anybody who's been to to any kind of activist event can tell you that there's always people looking to jump on or hitch their wagon to uh whatever the fight is at the moment and try to use it to to platform their own special interests so when i went to occupy uh, which we had our own local version of, um, mm. there was all kinds of different political activists trying to steal some of that juice to get their own thing going, right? And I think Me Too is susceptible to that a little bit. There's people who are, like, jumping onto it. I don't know if I would say it's run its course. Um, maybe well, yeah, the- I definitely think it's important. I definitely, and I feel like I'm being uh, pedantic when I when I call it, you know, when I lump everything into, quote-unquote, the Me Too movement because I know it's its own thing and I know... There, are, you know, it's, I'm. I think I feel like I'm being um, simplifying it when I just say right. the Me Too movement to, you know, encompass everything I'm talking about. But I mean, I well, feel it's like, hard to pin it know. down. It's really complicated, right? But I mean, you did say that, like, th- like this Brian Singer thing is why this this shit exists in the first place, and you're right about that. So I don't feel like, uh, like, I, like I feel like it does every time. It feels like it's quieting down. Like the point's been made, and now we get to deal with the aftermath. Like, how are we going to handle things from here on in? Something new comes out. And I don't know if that's if that's just the fact that, you know, everybody's turn is just coming and that's yeah. kind of what this really is. Or if it's more like um, there's people who are who are, you know, that are campaigning actively to make sure the ones who are the most slippery, the yeah. most Teflon people like Brian Singer has been for like two, two decades are, are actually getting their day in the spotlight where you don't want to be right now for this stuff. Uh, if somebody's hashtag me too in you, you do not want to be in that, in that spotlight, man. <laughs> like, like if you know that that's, that's it. And, and, but apparently the, the controversy isn't that Brian Singer has been outed because he's been outed before uh big time. And he, like, you know, he his, he's only the director of Bohemian Rhapsody in name uh, is what I hear that he was, he kind of left that production uh, or was forced out and it's just his name attached to it, which is something that happens more than most people would believe in movies. Yeah, There's lots for, of ghost-directed movies out there. And for what I understand, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated for Oscar, but Brian yep. Singer wasn't. Just, I mean, his exactly. name is on it, but, you know, distance, that kind of thing. But I don't think he'll show up. And if he does, there'll probably be some interesting drama the next day, which will yeah. be worth watching. But uh, what's interesting about this controversy is actually Avi Lerner, the guy you, you clarified for me because I'd forgotten who exactly it was, but he's the guy who assaulted Terry Crews. 
you know, because we're reaching a point now where it's not just about women getting assaulted and harassed. We're also going to talk about how men get harassed and assaulted as well. And Terry Crews kind of got the ball rolling on that. And now we're talking about Brian Singer within that same uh, umbrella because it's not women that he assaults and harasses. It's men, including some pretty big names, some some of which are men that have, have uh, passed on, actually. Like Brad Renfro, he's been accused of, you know, having something to do with Brad Renfro's fall into drugs and depression and i don't know what the truth is about that i don't think anybody really does that's talking about it but the the big controversy that avi Lerner went on to say that all the accusations about uh brian singer are fake news and that brian singer is definitely going to be the guy who directs red sonia so his next movie is red sonia and red sonia wait wait hold on um let me correct something wait what's oh, the short the the guy who groped um terry cruz is adam vinitz i think i may have oh yeah okay, so yeah all right. I heard you say the name, and I, I'm, I'm in my head. I was like, "Yeah, that's the guy." But no, it's Adam. Avi Vinitz. Adam. Yeah. So let me correct that for the for the record. Sorry about that. Vienna. Okay. Right. So, but Avi Lerner is defending Brian Singer. I think Avi Lerner has something to do with the Terry Crews thing, though. Like maybe it's his company that that uh, represents that guy. I, I don't know. Oh, the, yeah. He he threatened them. Okay. Right. Yeah. He tried to get Cruz blacklisted. Is yeah. what it is. He threatened them and tried to use William Morris, the talent agency, to. You know, and it's Adam. Yeah, Adam Vennett is is uh, yeah. is all in there. So these guys are all involved with each other anyway. So it's not really any any to anybody's surprise that Avi Lerner is defending Brian Singer. To a lot of people, it'll feel like these are just it's just the same boys club um, covering each other's asses, right? Yeah. Um, but the idea that Brian Singer is gonna is just gonna continue to fail upward is where the controversy comes from because this is a director who. A lot of people like the X-Men movies. I don't, I don't particularly care for them. So I don't think he's made a good movie since the 90s. And, uh, like, like I don't... He, like, he just... He should have been in director jail a long time ago, never mind being, like, a guy who, like, touches young men uh, or boys, you know? Like, yeah. like so fuck him, kind of, you know? I, I hope that... Uh, I hope that there's an outrage and an outcry and that he doesn't get away with this uh this time indeed all right well that's that's been enough movie news and um you know controversy for one day let's get to why <laughs> everybody came here um so from this point forward we're going to review serenity you know how in plymouth i like to say everybody knows everything It wouldn't be funny if the truth was that nobody knows anything. How long have I been on Plymouth Island? Feels like we've all been here forever. What's this? Just a little scratch. All right, that was from the trailer for Serenity, um, new Matthew McConaughey movie. Um, before we get started, let me ask. Um, I don't know too much about Stephen Knight. Um, I think he hasn't... This is... I think it's what third or fourth movie or something like that right well i mean stephen knight is uh more of a writer than a director um but i've seen uh i've seen redemption his jason statham movie which was okay um it wasn't amazing but it was all right uh, mm -hmm. walk is really really good especially if you're a tom hardy fan but i i he has tv shows that he writes for uh particularly peaky blinders uh and taboo both of which are are excellent excellent shows so I, I actually had forgotten that this was his movie until the end credits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, saying, and then I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Name didn't really ring a bell for me. Like, Peaky Blinders, I'm just, I'm one of those types that um, I get too, I don't know, queasy when I'm watching con men type movies when they're in that situation where they, it, 
they might get found out or you know whatever that is and Peaky Blinders just had too many of those in the first mm-hmm. to where they had to you, it, it was the script that got him out of the situation because he was just so backed into a corner that I'm squirming. I don't know it's a really weird reason to be turned off from a show, but that's that's what it was for me. I feel like the whole thing is just him finding ways not to get found out, and that's just I don't know. I just that doesn't interest oh, yeah. me. Yeah, I like that's... I like con men movies. I like the oceans type movies where they're you know okay. scamming people, grifting people, whatever. But I don't like the you know you're gonna find out who I am type of type of stuff. Yeah, I mean you're you're like describing so much crime fiction too, like. I, I feel like so much crime fiction, especially now, is about how many basketballs can the main character keep spinning in the air before they all start falling over. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you watched The Shield, which was a big I show did, for yeah, a while. I heard it was really good, but I never watched that either. It was, but you would have you would have had the same problem with it. Like the, the, that show is all about how many basketballs. Thankfully, though, like Shield is an ensemble show, so like it has several different storylines going on. So it's not all about the main guy spinning basketballs. But Peaky Blinders is a lot more just connected to Tom Shelby played by Killian Murphy. Anyway, it's a, it's a great show. Have you, have you watched taboo? I though? have never even That's, heard of it. Oh, it's, it's the Tom Hardy and his dad came up with the concept for it. And then Stephen Knight helped them write a bunch of the episodes and co-created it. And that's, that is a good show, but it's very strange. All right. Well, you know, let's, let's get around talking to it. I know, and I know you love Locke. So, you know, how do you think Serenity held up? Is that, um, did you enjoy Serenity? I did. Uh, I heard that it was terrible going into it, so I had low expectations, I, and I did not know what to expect. I thought the trailer made the movie look like a neo-noir um, with some strange undertones, because like, the trailer suggests that it's that there's something weirder going on, and I thought the movie was pretty much that. Like It's mostly kind of like a, a certain type of neo-noir that, that mostly deals with like kind of a bayou sensibility, so it's kind of got this greasy gritty tinge to everything it reminded me a little bit of this movie with matt dillon from years back called wild things uh just a, that was a very sleazy like wild movie. things was a, a huge movie very cultural impact you don't have to talk about it like it's a, an obscure movie everybody knows. i wild thought it things. was i didn't i didn't know what people knew what that shit was man yeah, um I know why I know why it's famous if it is, but uh, <laughs> when I was when I, I nobody I knew had seen it when I was like in high school and stuff, but I watched it when I was like fifteen or younger than that even. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so it reminded me of that a little bit. And then uh, like as we'll get into in the spoilers, there's a there's a pretty big twist that reframes the whole movie. Happens about halfway through, and the movie really commits to that, uh, which I thought was kind of impressive. Its commitment was impressive. Um, I don't know if it entirely works, but. I think that they try really hard to make it work, especially by using the performances. Matthew McConaughey is really good in this movie, like really good, uh, and probably won't get the credit he deserves for it. Um, but then again, we're in the McConaissance, so I mean, he's good in almost everything he does these days. Yeah. But enough. Of, I don't know how much more I can say about spoiling it until you get your turn. Yeah, so What I do think- you What did you think? Yes, we're really going to have to, it's hard to really kind of talk about what this movie is without going into spoilers. So this may not be the longest section, but, um, general impression. Yeah. I don't think I like this. I'll put it like that. Um, Mm -hmm. this is one of those things where I'm glad, you know, I had a little bit of time to sit with this, you know, I I saw it last night, you know, so I'm kind of thinking about it throughout the day and it's not one of those you walk out, this is good. This is bad. You kind of really got to sit with this one to let it kind of settle and, I don't, even, I don't even remember watching trailer, but I kind of know what it was about. But So I, I got the kind of vibe that it was a drama, 
but with a twist, you know, I think there were some, um, I don't know if it was supernatural vibes I was getting from the trailer, but that's kind of what I thought this would be. And I won't really get into it, but there is, you know, a twist in here and I don't know if I like that. I think same kind of, um, what I was talking about with Shyamalan last week, that the twist makes you kind of recontextualize the whole movie. And I think this one, it's even more, um, you know, more prominent or more, it's it really shapes what the movie is when you find out kind of what the twist is and then right. even further later on, you know. Um, so I, I think I appreciated the performances, like I said. Um, but when you're talking about Matthew McConaughey, I think his first line in the movie, um, he just he, he was sounded so Matthew McConaughey. You know, it's just kind of, <laughs> you know, he, he's become the Matthew McConaughey. He's come a, a stereotype for who he plays. And I think the first few lines of the movie, you really, you know, you got that this this guy is playing, you know, the Matthew McConaughey uh, personality, you know. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that the acting asked a whole lot of him. I feel like he he played Matthew McConaughey in this movie, and I think he did that well. I think you know he really worked. I think um, I appreciate it. I think it, he fit exactly what the script was asking him to be. But I don't know necessarily that I like this movie. I really want to compare it to something else. As I walked out, I said, "Okay, this is exactly like blank movie," but I can't. Yeah, talk I had about a few that. thoughts yeah, like that. I, I had a few thoughts like that too. I can't say what that movie is without, you know, being a big spoiler as to what this movie is. But, you know, right. this I think I like that other movie better than I like this one because the it's like I say, it's really hard to discuss what I, I didn't like about this movie without getting into the twist because it's it's so big a part of what this movie is. But I mean before that I did like the kind of the personal personal nature of this movie. Um, I, I did like the inter, you know, the interpersonal conversations. I like the the storytelling without telling a story. You really get to know who this guy is and what his life is like. And, you know, um, I really I really thought that part was interesting. I, honestly, I think before the twist, this was a better movie. I really liked what that movie would have been, you know. I think, yeah, you, yeah you know, I, I think I would have, too. Like, like, I mean, I wouldn't have hated it if the movie had stayed in its like island noir kind of greasy, sweat soaked kind of mode that was in um but if you gotta have a movie that's that to me okay so we're talking like let me just rewind a minute to matthew mcconaughey's performance i actually i've 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 already like said that it's great um so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna really double back on that but i know what you mean when you say that he kind of plays matthew mcconaughey a little bit like there is a certain kind of post true detective drama like intensity that matthew mcconaughey does now a lot uh, and I think it originated really with Russ Cole in, in, in True Detective. But contextually, I think the performance only matters really after the twist is revealed. That's when it gets interesting. That's yeah. when he's not really playing Matthew McConaughey anymore. Uh, and we'll get into that more later. And we'll see if you if I can get you to agree with me about, about that. But I, I do think uh, if it had stayed in that mode, in that noir mode, it would have been okay. I love noir films. It's one of my favorite genres. You asked me earlier off uh, mic, you know, what what's my genre? Uh, that would be near the top of the list, noir, like detective stories, kind of, right? And this movie fills all those, fits all those tropes super duper well, especially in the first half. Um, so I really like that a lot. But what I like about the twist is that it happens halfway through the movie. A lazier movie or a movie that was really going for some kind of shock value there would have done it in the last ten minutes, and and basically left you with like uh, an ambiguous. Um, impression of what the twist means. Uh, and I mean, that can be done really well too. 
in lots of movies it's done super well Shyamalan is is actually an interesting person to mention because some of his movies do that and they do it really well but uh in this they do it they get they get there really early on and then you're and then they leave you with with this new version of the movie that you're watching and i and i you know like it or not because i can't really blame you for not liking it uh it's ballsy you know i have to respect that honestly i kind of disagree there i feel like you either put that twist at the beginning and the whole movie is kind of developing that into what it becomes at the end or you you know you put it at the very end and it just you know that's the twist and I know we're talking about, you know, talking around it, and I hate to be mm-hmm. so uh, big picture, but, you know, I just, I really, if you're thinking about watching this movie, you've seen the trailers, you, you don't want to be, you don't want the spoiler before you go in there. And no, I've obviously seen some people on Twitter just ruining it by spoiling it. So don't look at it on Twitter, you know. Um, so, yeah, just, I'm going to keep talking around it, but understand it's for a reason. Uh, I kind of want to segue to you, what you were talking about, about the noir. I feel like, um, right. And Hathaway's character and Jeremy uh, Jeremy Strong, who also uh, I loved in Succession, so um, mm-hmm. he you know he really stood out to me here. But uh, honestly, I think Anne Hathaway's performance was um, I don't know, it was kind of a throwaway. I feel like that could have been anybody. I don't feel like she necessarily brought anything to the role, and I think that's what made this a noir film. Is her you know performance? I think that character. Everything out her mouth felt like something in a, you know, it didn't fit the movie, but I think it felt like something out of a, you know, a 1960s, you know, noir film or whatever. I feel like that's, that's, that's who that character was, you know, somebody shot my husband. Can you track him down, detective? You know, that, that's exactly yeah. what her, her character she's was. She's the breathy femme yeah. fatale. I, I yeah. think, I think you're on to something like she's the most obvious noir trope like as soon as she walks into the movie in that white dress with that hat or whatever and she's smoking a cigarette like you know exactly what she is but i do i I think it's just the most obvious of of the noir tropes the movie's doing not not the only one i mean even the way there's there's some subversions of this that we can get into in the spoilers too like ways that it handles a normal way a detective movie would work in its own unique way uh we can get into that later but i I want to I want to talk about Anne Hathaway's performance a little bit with you, mm-hmm. uh, since we, we don't have to spoil the movie to do that. Um, you know, I I think I think she's Anne Hathaway's an interesting person to talk about, kind of. Like, do you like have can you think of a performance she's given that's been like an all timer besides maybe like uh, Brokeback Mountain? Because that's one where I like was like, oh, she's like a real like she's like a, the real deal. She's not just the the, the Di- Princess Diaries. But can you think of any other ones that have like really? Um, I I got to go to the obvious one saying Les Mis because that's probably my okay. favorite musical. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've got a Les Mis tattoo on me, so that's kind of you know that's that's the bee's knees for me. I don't you think got her tattoos. I do. I have me a too. Les Mis tattoo, but I I don't think her performance. I don't. Th- I mean, her her singing was great, but I think her range and kind of what was asked act asked of her. I think she yep. really kind of knocked it out of the park with Les Mis. I think that proved that she's you know. Well, I wouldn't say proof because she's been in a lot of uh, great stuff. You know, uh, yeah. I, th- I really like Loved and Love and Other Drugs. I think her performance in that was stellar. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that's I, good like one. I said, she's just been in so many awesome movies. You can, you know, she's an A1 actress, but I feel like her being in this movie, I think they thought it would be a, um, you know, a cheat. It would add gravitas to it just because of her character, but I think it actually took it away. I think a, um, a Michelle Williams in this, in that role would have, uh, I, I would have preferred her acting her. I think. I'm not looking. I think uh, Michelle Williams could have kind of brought more out of that role. I think 
uh, Anne Hathaway, you know, you just kind of because of who she is, you kind of you take that in the movie with her. And I think somebody like Michelle Williams probably would have made it more more personalized, more specialized and not so much as a cheat. But I mean, honestly, it's just because of where the movie goes. We're honestly going to have to delve into that in spoilers as well. So I don't really want right. to get too far into it. It's just so let's kind of talk, you know, like I said, generally, uh, again, I think we we're talking about uh, Dan Lane a second ago. Um, well, off the mic, but we talked about Dan Dan Lane. I loved her performance. I love her and everything. She's she's gorgeous. Oh, she's an excellent actress. She's the best. Yeah. Just I think her um, kind of in contrast to what I said about uh, Anne Hathaway. I think she's perfect just because of who she is. She, I mean, when she's not on screen, when she's uh, well, I mean, not on screen, when she's not speaking, when you're just seeing her, you know, look through a um, blinds or something like that. She brings that to the role where you kind of get what she is just by her facial expressions you you know who that character is and you really appreciate that role just because of her acting so i think i honestly like diane's lane acting in this better than uh Anne hathaway's yeah i i don't blame you i mean when we're thinking about though like like uh, there's an interesting question that i think is raised by by your take on Anne hathaway's performance and just her role in the movie mm-hmm. um which is is it okay for an actress of her stature, because even though I asked you what what has she done that's so great, uh, I think she's great. Um, I think she's awesome, especially if you think of her in an old school Hollywood kind of way, um, which is there's not a lot of actresses her age that 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 I think are is is uh, dynamic and have as much range. But anyway, um, yeah. the question I want to ask from that is, is it okay for an actress of her stature to occupy a tropey kind of almost stock role in a movie like this just for the fun of it? Like, is it maybe intentional? Did, did Stephen Knight go, as soon as she walks on camera, the audience is going to know what we're going for here. And that's exactly what we need. And Anne Hathaway doing it just brings that class just up a little bit. Yeah. Well, Not that she's the only one who could have. I don't think she's yeah. essential. But well, I, I think that's, again, I think that's a personal preference thing. Because for me, right. it didn't work because of who she was. But for somebody else, it might have, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I think that, that shortcut, just seeing her in that role, may have worked for somebody else and kind of brought that... Um, you know, brought that role fuller, but just for me, because of who she was and because the actual um, character didn't, um, you know, didn't require a whole lot, I think it was, it didn't really work for me. It was just kind of a cheat and it was kind of a stock character rather than an actual, you know, character with... um, We'll return to this idea of stock characters yeah. and the spoilers because it's actually that question is so relevant to this movie yeah. that if you haven't seen it yet and you're hearing this for some reason, you've no idea. But uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, my, my last thought on her is that I could see other actresses in that role, uh, but there is a line between casting someone who would be distracting and I feel like Anne Hathaway is shy of that line. Like she's not, it's not distracting to me that it's Anne Hathaway. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she doesn't run away with the movie. She doesn't like, if it was maybe like a Jennifer Lawrence or something like that, it'd be a little bit more, it'd feel a little bit more like, oh, look at me, it's Jennifer Lawrence. But that could just be associations with the movies that Jennifer Lawrence chooses to be in. You could really compare this to, but you could throw any actress of the same age category and, and skill set in this, in this place and try to figure out, like, you know, you mentioned Michelle Williams, and I think you're right. She would have been great here, right? Carrie yeah. Mulligan would have been great here. Like, yeah. But, yeah, you could, we could do this all day. So yeah. what do you think? Yeah. Time to move on to spoilers? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we, <laughs> we're doing too much talking around it. So I just kind of, yeah. you know, in general, honestly, I, I I didn't care for it. I think the end kind of uh, made it fizzle out for me. But I think the first half of it was a very interesting movie, really interesting. And I think if you're even semi-interested in going to see this one, I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I, I think you may walk out of it getting more than even I did. 
I think it's worth seeing, um, not only for the performances, but for the acting and just kind of where it goes. You know, it's, it's like I said, we, I think we've already spoiled. It does have a twist. So, you know, you may have, you know, um, sorry for spoiling even that much by you going into it, but I definitely think it's worth seeing. Um, so, you know, if you are interested in seeing, I, I say go see it, but we got more in spoilers. What about you? Yeah, I recommend it. I, you know, I, re- it's a movie I respect more than love. Uh, like I said, I think it's, it's got a, a lot of boldness in, in the twist and its commitment to it, which I, which I can only respect, even if it doesn't all come together. Uh, I like the first half a lot too, probably more than the second half. Cause I just love noir. Um, and the second half kind of upends that a little bit, but like in general, it's the kind of movie that I, I, like I said earlier, it's a January dump, I think, because the studio didn't know what to do with it. Like, it's the kind of movie that I would never want to market because if I was marketing this movie, I would not know how to get people to come see it besides basically lying and saying it's what it isn't right. How do you get around that? And then somebody comes in and they're almost set up for disappointment because the movie pretends to be one thing and then it's another thing and there's no way you can be ready for that until you actually sit down and watch it indeed all right so listeners from this point forward spoilers for serenity some weird stuff going on right now this whole island's a part of it but nobody knows it okay john you want the truth all right now that we're in spoilers source code right <laughs> that's that's the first thing I, I thought about when walking out of this movie i said this is a worse version of source code and that's i wish i knew that going into it that's uh, not, that's not what, what you I thought about that's no i, no, I, I, I mean I, I couldn't that's it, that's the most blatant um i guess rip off that's exactly what this is in my head i don't so think it's a rip-off but well yeah but you know same same yeah. general principle. i love source code i got it on blu-ray like that that, that movie is underrated but like uh, I didn't think about that just because um, Source Code's idea of the meta fiction is very, very different, and it does reveal it really early on. Um, and then the whole movie is wrapped around that in a different way. It's not what I thought of. I thought of like movies like I even thought of The Fountain. I thought of stories and movies where somebody's trapped in a book. And one of the things that I thought about when I was watching this was that, okay, wait a minute, let's rewind. So the twist. The twist is that uh, halfway through the movie, we find out that Matthew McConaughey is actually a digital version uh, recreated from a kid's dad. And the kid is like a math genius and a computer genius. And he's programming a game as an escape from his abusive household. And Matthew McConaughey is his dad who died in a war in Iraq. And he's kind of recreated his dad so that he can connect to him. But he's also doing something uh, with this game world he's created where he's trying to work up the courage to do something about his abusive stepfather. Yeah, so let and, me be, hold on, let me let me clarify that because basically sure. there's two different twists. The, okay. The middle of the movie twist is when you find out um, via um, Jeremy Strong's character that this is a game and he's in mm-hmm. a game. And it isn't until the end of the movie where you find out this is all more or less a coping mechanism that he's created on right. his computer as a way to, I guess, convince himself. It started out as a coping mechanism to protect himself while his mom is getting beat. And towards the end of the game, it was a way to, com- sorry, towards the end of the movie, it was a way to convince himself to, to uh, kill his dad, more or right. less. So yeah, I yeah. kind of want to separate the two to us because we don't find out right. that he's been dead until the very end you know throughout. i, I kind of knew though well, i mean yeah, it, it I, seemed I, pretty I think that it, it makes it you know um seems kind of obvious but you don't know it until the very end of the movie which is why yeah. i think you know we'll get to it later but it was kind of where the whole movie falls apart for me but i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead 
no, no that's okay like that that's a really good clarification um yeah because there is there is two separate twists right uh although when you guess at what the twist is might not be exactly when we did for me um i knew the movie was a video game uh pretty early on uh i knew that plymouth island where it takes place wasn't a real place very quickly um and i had some some ideas about what it was uh my the lamest one which i'm glad they didn't do was that it was some kind of purgatory uh in a sense it is still symbolically but i'm glad they didn't go with the whole oh he's dead and he's just trying to solve a problem so that he can he can move on to the afterlife because i i that's a that's a really tired cliche but something i want to point out though uh, I feel like the confusion around this movie, which I've seen time and time again in the critical reception of it, and also you could say maybe that you could speculate that confusion is why it was released in January with almost no fanfare, uh, is because it's about a video game and not a book. If this was a guy trapped or, or, or realizing that they're actually a character in a book or a character in a movie, it would not be as uh, weird or off-putting as it is that it's a video game. I, I strongly believe that because we've all seen the well, hopefully we've all seen the Truman Show, and we've seen um, stories like or movies like Pleasantville, where the idea is that you know characters realize slowly that they're actually in some kind of metafiction or some kind of fictional universe, and the story becomes about either escaping that universe or becoming aware of it or whatever. Even The Matrix is kind of like that. Um, in this movie, it is literally a video game, and I just don't think. Uh, I'm, I play video games. I know you do too, but you're not as into it as me. We're just not at a point yet, I don't think, as a culture where we can not, where we can take that seriously. That video games have reached a point where they're the same level of media as movies and books. And if it was different, I feel like this movie would be more successful, and there'd be a little less of a of a jarring feeling when you do get that twist. Because I feel like some of the sense that it doesn't work comes from the fact that it's a video game. Well, I mean... It seems add, sillier somehow because of that, I well, think. Well, I think I don't think it's sillier. I think it's the whole movie doesn't make sense to me at that point because we're... Uh, it's, not, it's not even really a video game. It's more an... AI construct from the AI's point of view. You know, it's it, that's, that's fair. That's, that's why it kind of falls apart because we're not watching him play a video game. We it's not that a, the the kid is super smart and created a video game and is playing the video game. It's that he's created an artificial intelligence with the same point of view as his dead father, and he's only like you know what like. 14 or something like that. Yeah, so he's young. Just, I don't he's, know he's if I agree with that. Well, no, okay, though. let me, well, because he, the whole, you know, second half of the movie, you know, A, giving his dad the idea to kill his stepdad, but also trying to prevent him from doing it. You know, it's so. Well, it's, he's it's, not preventing it. Uh, it's the game. Okay. Well, so, I know, that's what I'm saying. So it's, right. it's not that he's, he's decided to kill his dad and he's going to, you know, play the system and, you know, play the game to where he can defeat the masters, you know, or whatever, you know, defeat the, the dungeon trolls trying to stop him from killing (laughs) his dad. It's that the game is designed to push him not to do it. Right. And he wants it done. So he's basically just watching the AI, hoping the AI does it. You know, it's just, it's really, it doesn't really make sense because we're apparently, you know, the whole point of the movie and the point of the ending is that, He's um, the Matthew McConaughey uh, character is autonomous. He's smart. He's making his own decisions, right. and the son is kind of pushing him to do it. And he's just kind of 
waiting to see what happens. And then when his dad does decide to actually kill the stepfather character, that's when the kid, you know, through his coping coping mechanism, whatever, decides that, okay, then now is the time I'm really going to go kill my stepdad or whatever. So that's the that's kind of where it falls apart, because it doesn't make sense that we're watching in A.I., you know, we're a we don't have that type of technology, you know, and B, you know, it's just it just I don't know, just when you take that as the central aspect of what the movie is and then think about that in the context of the rest of the movie, the whole thing just kind of falls apart for me. And that's why it just really didn't work. You know, okay. I just, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I disagree with your take kind of, uh, there's okay. just some nuances or specifics that I think are change it a little bit. So like, okay. Uh, for one thing, we, we almost like, we don't have the technology to create self-aware AI that we know of, but there's I a bit not. in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, that we know of. Um, there's a bit in the movie though, where we see kind of like a, one of those weird shots of the Island that we're, like, there's a lot of weird shots in this movie that are an early indicator that there's something going on. Yeah. Um, even before we see the actual kid on the computer and kind of get it, get it. Like we see him or like, but there's a lot of hints anyway, that yeah. this movie is going to where That's it goes. why I kind of agree with you. I thought it was at uh, purgatory at first, kind of, cause it's kind yeah. of weird things were, but, but yeah, as soon right. as you see the kid, uh, playing a game under, under his sheet that he hides under where he's fishing, I kind of knew something was up with that. But like where, where I think you and I differ on our take here is that, like there's a there's a bit of a there's a throwaway part of the movie where you hear some voiceover lines that sound like they're coming from like YouTube videos or talking heads or professors or whatever that are talking about like machine learning and AI and stuff and how uh, 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 an independent system could become self-aware spontaneously and that's a hint that that's pretty much what's happened to Matthew McConaughey's character so Baker Dill is his character's name and yeah Dill's a stand-in or a, or a recreation of his dad coded with some of the same personality. Uh, traits that the kid remembers from when he was young um and like there's like a kind of like a thread there where the the i i feel like and i think you would agree with me that baker dill is the only self-aware uh consciousness consciousness fully self-aware consciousness in the in the program uh jeremy strong's character is almost there but the idea is that this kid has programmed a world and it is a game because like jeremy strong explains there's different there's the island has different games that the kid plays. Right? I think Catch Jeremy Strong. Hold on, I, I think Jeremy Strong is self-aware. Uh, I don't know if you watch The Good Place, but um, there's an AI. Yeah, I do. yeah, there's an AI in that. I think he Jeremy Strong is self-aware in the same way that that AI is. Too. I agree. That's a they good connection. They know what's going on, and they can kind of make their own decisions. But they're not necessarily. Um, they don't necessarily have free will, quote unquote. Right. They just kind of can make decisions within the parameters of the rules. Yeah, Sorry, like Karen, yeah. right? Karen's yeah. my favorite character in The Good Place. But yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good connection. And like, I agree with you. So so he she, he, he, he keeps saying he represents the rules. And the movie has this whole thing about the rules and the rules changing. And that's because I think the kid has programmed a world that's meant to, like, it's basically like if you were going to play a game and uh, it's a digital world or a fantasy world you're playing in the game, and then you can just do different things in the game that are in themselves mini games, right? So one of the mini games is uh, Baker Dill is obsessed with catching a fish. So that's one of the ways the kid in his real life has programmed this game to escape. He has a connection with his dad about fishing, so he creates a character like his dad who he plays as to go fishing. Uh, then he gets the idea that he's going to kill his stepdad, and he he programs in a version of his mother and a version of his stepdad, both of which are larger than life and composed out of stock character tropes from noir fiction and crime fiction. I mean, Jason Clark is really good in this movie, but the character he's playing is really cartoonish. 
uh, just a cartoonish bad guy. Yeah. Um, and that's on purpose, I think. Just like I would argue that Anne Hathaway's character is purposefully yeah, so that's, a thought character. That's what I wanted to wait for spoilers to talk about. Right. Is that A, yes, I thought um, her being here was a little bit of a cheat, which was a little, I don't know, over the top, which... You know, I just feel like she was playing a uh, a stock character role. But B, if this is a video game, then that's exactly who she would be. So, right. you know, it's the, too, it's a bit meta. Yeah, it's like a yeah. meta way of so, getting away with it. Right. So without, you know, watching it as the video game, then she, you know, doesn't work and kind of doesn't make sense. But I guess in the context of the fact that you're watching a video game, yes, she makes sense. And she should be that because she's not a real person. She's just a, you know, stock character, you know. But yeah. Right. And I mean, I've seen lots of indie sci-fi movies that pull a twist like this out of their ass in the last act, and it doesn't work because it just can't possibly support everything we've seen. Like, if you think about it for too long, it all just falls apart like a house of cards. And I feel like Knight is smart enough to know that, so he's like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna commit to this twist halfway through the movie. So halfway through the movie, uh, Baker Dill is told, basically something about that he's long suspected that his reality isn't real and he's told this by jeremy strong who puts it in terms of it's an exposition dump a little bit telling him oh it's a kid making a video game and because baker dill has already experienced weird things he's had these weird psychic kind of connections with his kid that are through the like matrix of this video game but like uh manifest themselves in a more straightforward i guess supernatural psychic connection thing all that stuff that's where began to fall apart for me because when he heard his son's voice i didn't know if he was just losing his stuff because the first time it was just kind of an echo but the second time it was kind of a real you know more or less he's talking to the son and then that point i was like okay then where does this go if that's a real thing that happens in this movie then we're gonna end on a really weird place because i don't know how that exists in this world and in a way that makes sense and kind of pushing back onto you a little bit if that is if he is playing the father then then he's just playing against himself and he's going to kill the dad either way and which doesn't make sense or if his father is ai then you know i don't the whole thing just kind of it, the concept of what it is doesn't make sense and then you're talking about him playing games well if he is playing the games trying to fish then he is the father character so the father character isn't an ai well that's the saying and then you know the um and if you're talking about the was and the chase the cat game is basically him fucking diane lane so well yeah i mean if you were 14 years old and could create- well no then then it's a weird masturbatory thing where he's pretending to be his dad having sex with another lady and that's that's it's weird. Well, it is. It levels, is. You know? I think it's intentionally weird. Yeah. Um, but I do think it makes sense, though. And I think it, it makes sense in a really yeah. like it, because I, I feel like he's he didn't really. So he's created this. The point I was trying to make is he's created this system. Right. And it works with certain rules and it has like a kind of a closed loop. Right. Like uh, the characters are sort of autonomous within their prime directive. They all have a pro a thing they're supposed to do. So Matthew McConaughey's character is supposed to catch the fish. Uh, Jimon Hunsu's character is supposed to help him, so on and so forth, right? All the all the Islander characters are there to like sort of facilitate all this stuff. And who knows if the kid is role playing different characters at different times? We don't see that, right? And one of the one of the things this movie sort of is asking us to buy into, um, which is hard to do at face value, is the gritty realism of the world we're seeing when we're with Matthew McConaughey as some kind of video game world. It's kind of hard to buy that, even though video games are at a point now where the graphics are almost photorealistic. It's still not at a point where I can really, like, imagine that the kid is, like... I just feel like you're supposed to, like, kind of add a certain amount of, like, 
imaginative imaginative flourish to the idea that this would look at all real but i think the kid is doing all this stuff and and it's not until he programs a loophole or a, or a, a a sort of like counter programming thing into his own game world where where murder is possible that matthew McConaughey's character becomes self-aware yeah. and a great deal of the of the second act of the movie is spent on matthew mcconaughey wondering if he's insane and uh trying to grapple with that and pretty quickly he's like no I'm, i don't think i'm crazy but he comes back and forth on it and that's where i think the meat of his performance really is is like this way that this this character archetype this kind of taciturn alcoholic uh macho like noir stock character grapples with the idea of being real or not real so one of the movies that this reminded me of was the 13th floor actually um mm. and vanilla sky and like a whole host of other ones that deal with the same idea we've mentioned the matrix we've mentioned source code you know um there's tons of movies out there about an about an ai becoming self-aware or uh suddenly understanding what it is and i feel like what makes that possible for baker dill is the fact that the kid is fucking with his own game in such well, a way that it makes yeah. it possible for spontaneous ai to emerge and then when he realizes that's what's happening that he's in communion with it and it's you know what i mean like it's it's almost like simulacra like at what point does a version of your dad that you put into a computer game become so real to you or so real in, in, in a certain sense that it, the difference is, is not that important anymore? Right? I think that's exactly why I felt like it was source code, because at the end of the source yeah. code, you know, he was basically a real person. So, well, she, he, well, he, yeah. one of the fucked up things about source code, though, is that he steals another guy's life to be. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about that movie is that ending is dark. It's I mean, really dark. But it's all <laughs> a computer generated. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's uh, not. Source code yeah. is arguing that you can use a computer to, to, to basically create alternate timelines that might as well be real because they're it's just like at the at the end of the day, all of our everything we're doing and thinking and saying is code anyway, on some level. So it's another it's an argument the Matrix makes as well, which is that like the digital if it's so close to being real that it might as well be real, how do you tell the difference and what difference is there really? Well, it's yeah, a philosophical I mean, but, question, right? But in source code, the whole universe is just computer generated. So, Well, it turns well, yeah, out that's think, not the case. No, I'm not saying that. I think that's, that's what the end is um, playing with. He, she's hoping that if she turns off the computer at the exact perfect time, he'll keep living in that dream world. And right. the end is ambiguous as to whether or not that happens. So you know, I think the movie argues, though, that these dream worlds are, are real worlds for all mm -hmm. intents and purposes. So I think what's cool about that ending is that he body jumps into a into a dude and that dude is erased. And I think that's kind of fucked up, you know, in a really yeah. awesome way, you know, but but whatever source code, source code. So in terms of serenity does, doesn't ever get that fucked up unless you're like, I mean, it is fucked up to a certain extent, this idea that, oh, he's role playing his dad sort of fucking yeah. uh uh you know a middle-aged woman for money uh and that's just the thing that this kid does to get his kicks but at the same time if you if you read this kid as being really socially maladjusted po possibly autistic or on the spectrum somewhere which is kind of a feeling i got from him um although the movie doesn't really say either way which i think it's to its credit um but either way i mean what, what does a teenager want to do with a digital world like kind of play around and, and sort of play act being different models of what an adult would be like and i kind yeah. of feel like that all feels like something you would do and i mean if his if his model for masculinity is his dad then yeah it's fucked up in a kind of freudian way 
but it's also, it makes a certain amount of sense to me. Even though it's screwed up, it makes a sense. You know, I don't think I would play a game where I was being my dad, well, banging still, women, but. It, it's the fact that he, I guess, so if we're taking your, um, your, your uh, viewing of it, your perception of it, then he started out playing the character, then, you know, I guess by cheating or by telling the dad, you know, that he was in a video game, then he became quote unquote real and whatnot. And then at the end of the movie, when he's sitting in jail, you know, how is he affecting the game? Is this a time jump where this is, you know, years right. in the future when he's out of jail and he's back editing the game? Is Matthew McConaughey, oh, I'm saying, is he in some kind of purgatory hell where he just, you know, this exists, but the world is controlled by his son. And then, you know, then, then in a source code sort of way, one day, eventually, the son is going to turn off the computer or die or, you know, whatever happens. Then does Matthew McConaughey cease to exist? And 20 years before that, does he want to die, but he can't die because he's a computer? You know, it's just, I think that's really dark as well, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the cool things with this movie, if, if we take it as science fiction, which it actually is, I think, um, is that it, you can think about all those kinds of things. And that's 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 something it does have in common with source code, is you can you can really just roll into the questions about, yeah. about what happens there and the implications. But in this movie, I think what we're seeing, what, what the, the ending is a little bit weird. Because, yeah, the kid is communicating with his dad without the computer. It's all totally mental. And I think that that's just an just basically a flourish that is supposed to say that uh, this whole world that the kids created, Plymouth Island, is in his head. And whether it's whether he's coding it into reality on his computer or he's just dreaming it up in his head, it's basically the same thing. And, uh, and I mean, I, I don't know if everybody would be able, like, watching it would really want to roll with that. Because it seems like if you mitigate an idea like that with something like concrete, like computer code, such as it is, uh, that you could sort of believe it a little bit more. But if the, if, the, if there's no real clear line between um, the computer code and the kid's imagination, then it kind of fall. Maybe it feels like it falls apart. I don't think it does. I I feel like this is what also led to people in the second Matrix movie when it ended. There was this really popular theory that I always thought was stupid, which is that it's a matrix within a matrix, because how can Neo affect the matrix or affect the machines when he's not in the matrix? You know, like, like yeah. it's the same kind of thing. It's like there's a certain amount to which uh, philosophically anything we do with our hands in the world is an extension of our imaginations or our will anyway. And that's the that's the wheelhouse that the matrix is in. And that's where I think this movie is also. It's sort of saying that for this kid, it doesn't make a difference whether he's coded into reality or whether he's just dreaming it up in his head. It's the same yeah, kind of thing. But then know? that adds to the fact that if he dreams it up in his head and they're communicating that way, then when he gets back to his computer, he still has to physically do it, which is, you know, like I said, I think yeah. the, my biggest issue is that um, the rules, there are no, for a movie that literally has a character that is the embodiment of rules, the, the rules don't really make sense in this universe. And I well, prefer, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, if a movie, I like I like a movie to build the universe with a set set of rules and then stick to those rules. And I just, it's, a movie fell apart for me personally because I don't think it did. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. I, I feel like that's a valid criticism too. And I and I, I would need to think of it more and see it again to, to decide whether I agree. I do think that uh, saying that it's about rules though is half the, half the, the story because the movie's really about what happens when the rules break down, when there are no more rules and the chaos that ensues and whether that chaos can be useful or not. So the movie is acknowledging this idea of rules, but it's also about what happens when the rules aren't getting followed, when the creator changes the rules 
for instance, right? Because that's that's something that's bothering in his AI brain. Jeremy Strong is like, why would the creator change the rules? I'm supposed to help you catch the fish. But then he's like, but if the creator wants me to help you kill a guy, then that's what I'm going to do. So they're, they're sort of like us in a way where like they're trying to interpret the will of their creator all the time, right? Like where if you're a religious person, um, there's, there's questions that arise out of that. Like where, you know, what does God really want, you know? And that's something Jeremy Strong is sort of like dramatizing in a, in a very uh, tangible and simplistic way, right? Um, it's, not, it's not really theology. It's, it's sort of like a version of that though, where like he's, they're grappling with these free will versus determinism questions. And what happens if you have a binary choice, but one of the choices that you make breaks the world. Like, I think all that stuff's really interesting. So I respect it, but I'm, I, I lean sort of towards where you're at, where I'm not hundred percent sure that it works. Gotcha. Yeah. So it may work on a more philosophical level than, you know, than what we actually have here. So, but I don't know. I think that pretty much sums up. I mean, we're kind of talking about it in circles at this point. We kind of agree that yeah. uh, it lo- I think it works a little bit better for you than it does for me, but we both agree that it was, you know, not a terrible movie and it was worth seeing for both the acting and, you know, the storyline. So um, I think at the end of the day, um, I probably would recommend you see it just, you know, not necessarily um, for the story, but just for the performances and kind of how, you know, I, I appreciate directors that take a swing. And I think this, you know, this may not have worked for me perfectly, but I think it was a good attempt. And I like people that make interesting movies. And, you know, so I, I, I would recommend it. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I recommend it. I recommend giving it a chance. Movies like this don't come along that often, especially not with talent this good. Um, it reminded me a little bit of a Jason Statham movie from years back made by Guy Ritchie called Revolver that nobody liked. And I tend to at least, I, I personally tend to like to give these movies a chance. I think you feel the same way. Um, so definitely go see it. See what all the fuss is about. See what you think. If you can if you can come up with a more coherent uh, theory of how this movie works than we did. Um, but yeah, like I, th- I think it's fun to think about and that's something. Indeed. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Serenity. Um, Evan, where can people find more of your stuff on the Internet? You can find me in the wide, wide Internet at Evan Todd McCoy at Twitter or on Twitter. So that's at Evan Todd McCoy, all one word, lowercase. Uh, you can see my reviews that I'm writing that are not on Sirwaka.com, which is where I write reviews for Sterling. Uh, you can see those on thunderclam.wordpress.com. That's my personal blog. I just put up a review of Glass. Uh, it's 5,000 words long. It's lengthy and in-depth, so check it out. And there's also a review of Low Life, the movie I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, on there as well. Indeed. You could find me on Twitter at Sir Waka. You can find You can follow the podcast at Sir Movies on Twitter. Again, you can contact us at certainmovies at gmail.com. Next week, we're actually going to be doing a more interesting episode. It's kind of light on movies this week. So we're actually going to do a top five most memorable, I'm sorry, most watchable movies um, that we enjoy. So tune in for that one. And that's it. See you next week. (music) 